Master Hakuin's chant and praise of Zazen. From the very beginning, all beings are Buddha. Like water and ice, without water, no ice, outside us, no Buddhas. How near the truth, yet how far we seek. Like one in water crying, I thirst. Like a child of rich birth, wandering poor on this earth, we endlessly circle the six worlds. The cause of our sorrow is eager delusion. From dark path to dark path, we've wandered in darkness. How can we be free from birth and death? The gateway to freedom is Zazen Samadhi. Beyond exaltation, beyond our praises, the pure Mahayana. Upholding the precepts, repentance, and giving the countless good deeds and the way of right living all come from Zazen. Thus, one true Samadhi extinguishes evils. It purifies karma, dissolving obstructions. Then where are the dark paths to lead us astray? The pure lotus land is not far away. Hearing this truth, heart humble and grateful, to praise and embrace it, to practice its wisdom, brings unending blessings, brings mountains of merit. And when we turn inward and prove our true nature, that true self is no self, our own self is no self, we go beyond ego and past clever words. Then the gate to the oneness of cause and effect is thrown open. Not two and not three, straight ahead runs the way. Our form now being no form, and going and returning we never leave home. Our thought now being no thought, our dancing and songs are the voice of the Dharma. How vast is the heaven of boundless samadhi. How bright and transparent the moonlight of wisdom. What is there outside us? What is there we lack? Nirvana is openly shown to our eyes. This earth where we stand is the pure lotus land, and this very body, the body of Buddha. Today is the seventh day of our summer seven-day session. Uh, it's the 14th of January 2022. And we're going to take up another koan today. This is uh, Hikiyaroku, number 89, uh, the hands and eyes of the great Bodhisattva of compassion. Uh, seemed appropriate to, to, to take up a koan um, about uh, Kanon, uh, given we have been spending time all week with Tangan Roshi, who was so devoted to Kanon and really was um, a, an embodiment of Kanon. And um, also to mark this first time where we have a Kanon uh, as part of our Sishin altar. And moreover, just the, the great need there is for many of us uh, to sense the way in which we uh, can be held by benevolent forces. Um, I think this is something that is, is really needed for as a, as a factor in our own healing from our wounds. 
So uh, just we'll start off with with the the case to set the scene. Ungan asked Dogo, "What use does the great Bodhisattva of compassion make of all those hands and eyes?" Dogo said. It is like someone reaching back, groping for a pillow with an outstretched hand in the middle of the night. Ungan said, I understand. Dogo said, how do you understand it? Ungan said, the whole body is hands and eyes. Dogo said, you have had your say, but you have only said 80% of it. Ungan said, how would you put it? Dogo said, the outsider's hands, the insider's eyes. Uh, just a little bit of um, background on these two guys, uh, Ungan and Dogo. Um, first of all, Ungan, his um, Chinese name, is Yunyan Tangsheng, and he actually um, appears in our ancestral line. His dates are 780 to 841. And um, we'll just read a little bit from Zen's Chinese, Chinese heritage about him. He was... Um, a disciple of Yao Shan Weiyan, who's also in our lineage. Um, he came from ancient Zhang Chang. Although he studied for about 20 years under Bai Zhang Huaihai, he did not attain enlightenment. He was, he was um, described as being slow in maturing, but um, he was later on to become a great master. Could, be, could feel encouraging to some of us. After Baijiang passed away, Yunyan traveled to many other teachers before completely ripening under Yaoshan. Yunyan was a close friend of his fellow student, Dao Wu Yuanjie, this is Dogo. So they were, you could say, fam famously good, good friends in that there, there are a whole lot of recorded exchange between the two of them. Uh, that are widely known and quoted by um, many generations of Zen students. And it, you sort of wonder how this came about, whether they would have these, these conversations and then afterwards think, oh, that was, that was quite good, should we write it down? Or whether they were having these exchanges in public and somebody else was writing them down. Or if they made them up, for that matter. We don't really know. Yunyan later lived on Yunyan Mountain, um, taking his name, of course, from the mountain, as so many of the masters do. This is in Tanjo, near modern Changsha. Among his Dharma heirs was Dongsheng Yangji, the founder of the Tsaodong, or Soto Zen School. So a very, very um, uh, esteemed lineage.
just a, I'll read a couple of examples of his, his um, Dharma exchanges. This one's Yao Shan talking to him, and remember Yao Shan is his, his um, the teacher under whom he, he, he matured. One day Yao Shan said, I've heard you can tame lions, is that so? Yunyan said, yes. Now in Ferguson's book he uses the, all the Chinese names, so I have to get used to Yunyan as uh, Ungan. Yunyan said, yes. Yao Shan said, how many can you tame? Yunyan said, six. Yao Shan said, I can tame them too. How many does the master tame? Yao Shan said, one. Yunyan said, one is six, six is one. So there's a clue there as to what they might be talking about in the, this number six. Later, Yunyan was at Mount Gui. Gui Shan asked him, I've often heard that when you were at Yaoshan, you tamed lions, is that so? Yunyan said, yes. Gui Shan said, were they always under control or just sometimes? Yunyan said, when I wanted them under control, they were under control. And when I wanted them to let, let loose, they ran loose. Gui Shan said, when they ran loose, where were they? Yunyan said, they're loose, they're loose. <laughs> Um, in just to, to round this off here, um, in the year 841, Yunyan became ill. After giving orders to have the bath readied, he called the head of the monks and instructed him to prepare a banquet for the next day because a monk was leaving. On the evening of the 27th of the month, he died, and his cremated remains contain more than a thousand sacred relics that were placed in a stone super. Stupa. These um, relics are uh, sarira, these kind of crystalline formations that are often found after somebody is um, uh, somebody saintly is is uh, cremated, and then they are they are uh, collected and and treasured by uh, descendants. Yunran received the posthumous title Great Teacher No Abode. Uh, a little bit about his friend, Dogo, Dogo Enshi, the full name in Japanese, and Dao Wu Yuanzhi in Chinese. And his dates are uh, 769 to 835. And just a little bit about him. He came from uh, ancient Yujiang, which is now Nanchang city in Jinxi province. As a young man, he is said to have studied and received ordination under Baijiang Nyepan, uh, the, the successor to the more well-known Baijiang Huaihai. Um, later, he studied with Yao Shan and received the mind seal in the Qingyuan lineage. After traveling for the many years to various Nain mountains, he resided and taught on Mount Daowu. And just yes, one, one little ta taste of an exchange. 
One day Dao Wu picked up his hat to go out. Yunyan pointed to the hat and said, What does this do? Dao Wu said, It has a use. Yunyan said, If you suddenly encountered a violent storm, then what? It would cover me, Dao Wu said. Yunyan said, Does the hat also have a cover? Dao Wu said, Yes, but its cover never leaks. Now you just get a bit of a lively flavour of these, these two characters. These two um, masters are in the same uh, generation as Joshu, just to, to give some uh, sort of a timestamp to this. So now we turn to, to our case. The hands and eyes of the Bodhisattva of great compassion. Ongan asked Dogo, what use does the great Bodhisattva of compassion make of all those hands and eyes? Some people may have seen these representations of um, Kanon Sama, where um, she has many arms. Um, there's a very famous one in Kyoto at, at a place called Sanju Sangendo, where the the Kanon, the main Kanon Sama on the, on the this massive altar actually does have a thousand arms. And um, there's an eye in the palm of each hand. And of course, eyes stand for wisdom and the hand for uh, compassionate action. The hand itself has um, prajna, wisdom. It's a seeing hand. And these two um, are intimately connected, two sides of one coin, you should say. It's, um, it's not a mist- um, an accident that the, the main character in our Prajna Paramita chant, which which explores emptiness and prajna wisdom, has uh, is Kanon, uh, the Bodhisattva of compassion from the depths of prajna wisdom, saw the emptiness of all five skandhas and sundered the bonds that cause all suffering. Here's what uh, Master Xing Yin says about about compassion and wisdom. In Chan Buddhism, wisdom and compassion are inseparable. In Chan practice, you cultivate wisdom, which is the absence of self-centeredness. You can only be free from self-centeredness if you have compassion, an awareness of the suffering of all sentient beings. Compassion allows you to give selflessly If you are selfish, you will not have much compassion or wisdom. Therefore, wisdom and compassion are inexorably linked. If there is only wisdom, your practice is incomplete. You can say that we, um, there isn't the space for us to really resonate with compassion, with the suffering of others, if we're, if we're very caught up in our own problems. 
and dramas. In the Vilamakirti Sutra, it says, uh, wisdom without compassion is, is bondage. Compassion without wisdom is bondage. Wisdom without compassion is, is cold, removed, lifeless. Compassion without wisdom can be sentimental, do-goodery, not uh, effective. So uh, Ongan asks this question, what use does the great Bodhisattva of compassion make of all those hands and eyes, all those ways of helping and seeing? Really, really, he's, he's asking how, and it's not an idle question, it's, it's how do we practice compassion? It's, it's a crucial question, and it's one that um, is especially apt as we leave Sashin, whether, we, whether, whether we've been focusing on our own process, and re-enter um, all our various relationships in the world. Dogo replies, it's like someone reaching back, groping for a pillow with outstretched hand in the middle of the night. What is it that, that this conveys to you, reaching back, groping for a pillow with outstretched hand in the middle of the night. And certainly, um, an, an unself-conscious act, uh, unforced, un, uh, uh, willed even, no shoulds or oughts in it, There's a story of a master um, who had a, a high official as a, one of his students. This guy was the, the governor of a province. And uh, the master asked him when he was leaving, maybe, maybe it was after a session, how will you rule the people? And the governor replied, I'll rule with compassion and wisdom. And the, the, the master said, oh dear, I really do pity your poor subjects. We could see this image of somebody groping in the dark and think, well, it's, it seems to be rather uh, an unconscious act even. 
but it's talking about something that comes up again and again and is in practice. is um, no-mindedness. Being aware and present with what you do, but without uh, this hard sense of subject and object. Um, in uh, Ingo's introduction to the, to the case, we don't work on this, but um, can draw on it. Um, he's, he says, um, when the entire body is the eye, while seeing, you do not see. When the entire body is the ear, while hearing, you do not hear. When the entire body is the mouth, while speaking, you do not speak. When the entire body is the mind, while thinking, you do not think. Uh, Tangan Roshi in his teaching kept, kept urging us to, to engage 100% with our lives. And certainly the, he, he seemed to do that himself and, and to just be in this uh, constant samadhi of engaging with his students and the lay followers in the community, fully entering in, into each encounter. No room for subject or object. I have a friend in Minnesota, um, he's a, an emergency physician. Um, over the years we've done many, many, many sessions together. Um, and uh, he, he just recently wrote to me uh, describing how his hospital has been um, completely overwhelmed by COVID patients and they're treating people in corridors and, and waiting rooms. And um, he was saying that sometimes he sleeps and eats at the hospital, not just overnight, but for days, days in a row. But he didn't sound in the least bit, bit discouraged by this. He said, um, perhaps it is the natural benefit of aging or knowledge that the heart-mind is always available to direct to the right action. The heart-mind always available to direct to the right action. Fully entering into his, his work He's directed, able to respond fully, aptly, humanly. In Ungan says, uh, in response to Dogo's answer, I understand. Dogo then says, how do you understand it? He presses him 
because this is not to be taken lightly, this, this matter. Really, we're talking here about the great matter of birth and death. How do we respond to suffering? And Ongan says, the whole body is hands and eyes. The whole body is hands and eyes. This is what we just heard in, in uh, Engo's introduction to the case. This is very central. No other, no self. Dogo then says, okay, you heard your say, but you've only said 80% of it. What's he saying here? What, what's, what's Dogo left out? Is it possible to say 100%? that one knows something and understands it, and especially compassion, 100%. Just uh, think of all the suffering there is in the world, all the, the suffering because of war, of, of uh, poverty, injustice, abuse. All the tears and cries for help there are constantly pouring out of human mouths and eyes. There's this powerful image in um, Dante's uh, Divine Comedy of an, an old man. He's called the Old Man of Crete. And he weeps for all the suffering in the world and he weeps so much that deep furrows form under his eyes. And these furrows, then the tears that run through these furrows, then feed the four rivers of the underworld. How can we possibly respond to all this suffering? Uh, Jan Chosen Bays um, says, I ask myself, how can I work for world peace when I see it to be unattainable? Then just there's the extent of our own suffering and how we struggle with that. Here's what Bell Hooks says about that. Bell Hooks is a, um, a black American activist and practitioner, writer, academic. And um, this, um, just an alert, this contains swear words. But sometimes you have to raise your voice in order to be heard. If you feel that you can't do shit about your own reality, 
How can you really think you could change the world? And guess what? When you're fucked up and you lead the revolution, you are probably going to get a pretty fucked up revolution. So we may, th may think that we're, um, uh, or sometimes, you know, in moments of doubt, that we're, that we're just navel-gazing when we do, do our zazen, come to Sishin. Or other people certainly may, may think that. But really done well, done sincerely, honestly, um, we are hopefully cleaning up our own act in order to be able to become more available to others. Actually, if we're not doing that, then it's not Buddhist practice. So Dogo has, has questioned Ongan's understanding, saying, um, you've only said 80% of it. And Ongan isn't phased at all, but just hits the ball back into the other court. How would you put it? And Dogo says, the outside is hands, the inside is eyes. Some translations here have, have the entire body is hands and eyes. So um, in that case, very little difference actually between Ongan's the whole body and Dogo's the entire body. And even this outside as hands, inside as, high, as eyes seems more of a, a refinement. The hands reaching out into, into the world perhaps and the, the eyes looking inwards at one's own states of mind. One of the points of the koan is, is, is this statement somehow um, saying something that, that uh, Ungans wasn't. Just going to um, now turn to to some more teaching by Tangan Roshi. Give give Tangan Roshi the last word. He's talking here about suffering. He says everything in its utter difference is utterly the same. My teacher always thought of this planet Earth as a cute little dumpling. He seems to have a thing about dumplings. <laughs> My teacher th always thought of this planet Earth as a cute little dumpling. If you compare it to the great universe, it is just a little Earth dumpling. But if you look at it as big, it is big. In truth, there is no big or little, so we can freely use big and little. It's a lovely, lovely, um, simple, 
notion. There is no big and little, and so we can freely use big and little as appropriately as needed. As a child, my mother would divide up sweets for us. We were seven children. I'm assuming this is his, his foster mother or his stepmother, since his, his natural mother died when he was born. She would divide up the sweets for us. We were seven children. She would also divide up the bananas, and my own piece would always look awfully small, especially when I looked at my big brother's piece of banana. We would sometimes exchange pieces, and each time we did so, it always seemed that my own piece was smaller. <laughs> I would start to cry about it. My desires were so deep. There is no big and little in truth. Big and little are only determined in our own minds. Form arises. Sometimes it is big, sometimes it is little. It is what we make of it. Have you, in the past year, come to accept this life more and more? Have you been able to drop all the calculating and judging? Have you become brighter and lighter and clearer? Our real life is brighter than the sunshine on the brightest day. That is because there is no separation and no shadow. No gaps anywhere, entire body, hands and eyes. The working of the whole life is heaven and earth. If your mind is dark and troubled, it is because you are carelessly overlooking this life. You are not accepting it, and it is as if you were putting it in a drawer and locking it away. Now is your life. When you realize this, you know how wonderful it is to be born with this human form. You know that you are here just as you are, and then there is no stopping the tears of gratitude. Up until now, there have been tears of sadness, darkness, loneliness, or pain. These have been your tears. The day you awaken to your true self, you will continue to shed tears. You will shed enough tears to soak your sleeves, but they will be tears of gratitude. This life is your reality. When you append ifs to it, if this were so, if that were so, then you look away from this life. You are hooked on conditions. And when your happiness depends on conditions, then today you're up and tomorrow you're down. True life is beyond conditions. You are not separate from anything at all. You are sitting here, but where is here? Here is not separate from America or India, but if you don't awaken to this fact, then you will never be happy. So long as this is just a concept, even if you understand it, just, it, just a concept, then it will not bring you peace of mind. You have to experience it. As long as you think you're tied down to this body and separated from that body, then you are not operating in accordance with truth. Our children are taught from kindergarten on up to divide, separate, and compete. If they are taught from the beginning that there is separation, then the more 
will they create oppositions, the more will they feel that they have moats around themselves, and the less they will know of real empathy and real oneness with others. It is often the case, as you know, that one spends one's whole life not knowing truth. Yet you sit right here, live life just now, live life which is beyond conditions and which fulfills the universe. This is mysterious and so simple that everybody overlooks it. In one paper this year I wrote, this life is intimate. This life is intimate but you don't see the intimacy. You only see the differences. And so even between parents and children, there is hurt and bad feelings. That is because they don't recognize the true life that they are living. The Chinese character for parent includes the character for intimate and also the character for tree. The parent wishes most of all for the safety and welfare of his or her child. So when the child goes away, the parent thinks only of the child coming home safely. The parent climbs a tree to look for the child and once the child's form is seen, then the parent feels real, feels real relief. The heart of a parent is intimacy. It is not just after the child is born that there is this perfect intimacy. It is from before the child's birth. The karmic affinity of intimacy, which becomes parent and child, is most deep. This life is warmth. The notion of separation is a cold notion. What could be warmer than our togetherness? This life, one. This life is smiling now. When you believe in this life, when you really believe, you will awaken to recognize it, and you will certainly smile. When Shakyamuni Buddha held up a flower, Mahakasho involuntarily smiled. Seeing the flower, one is the flower. That is the working of life, true life. When you taste delicious coffee, you become that coffee. This is the way life is working for every single one of us. Because we are one, the seeing and the seen are one. The hearing and the heard are one. It is only because you see yourself as separate as this body of flesh, it is only because you see a hard, solid, unchanging self that you don't understand. But gradually it will become clear to you that life is not this small, limited thing. From morning to night, you are in tune with all things in the universe. You are a part of all life, and you receive exactly what you are to receive. Some may be thinking that I am talking about something that is far beyond your reach, but it is not so. I'm talking about something that you were born with. You can spend a lifetime in ignorance of your oneness. You can spend a lifetime clinging to self and thinking that this little self is life. You can spend a lifetime living in separation, discriminating between self and other. And there will be no peace of mind for you because you will always be in danger from changing conditions. Life and death, we have a problem with this, don't we? And then there is the problem that arises from wanting things we don't have, of wanting things to be different, 
That is painful. And there is the sadness of having to be separated from someone we hold dear to us. Then there is the opposite, when we have to suffer the constant presence of someone whose very voice we can't stand. Of course, if this is the case with you, then you are really looking away, overlooking. Karmic affinity is a most mysterious thing. There is an affinity of attraction and an affinity of its opposite, non-attraction. But whatever your affinity, that's fine, because everyone is taken care of. Everything is as it is. This sounds like self-praise, but for 36 years, I have stood before this Kanon Sama praying for everyone's happiness and have not once asked for anything for myself. I never asked for a bride, which is probably why Kanon Sama never brought me one. Thinking now about why I never asked for anything for myself, I could say that I did not have the time because of the steady stream of people always coming to me to receive prayers for this and that. I could say that, but of course purely in jest. The real reason I never asked for anything for myself is that I never had to. True life is always taken care of perfectly, just perfectly. There is no reason to want things to be different from what they are. I hope you will believe firmly in this one life. If you are firm in your belief, then you will grow warmer day by day. You will awaken to the warmth of life. You will move away from dissatisfaction and go toward peace of mind, step by step. In there, this life, there is nothing too much and nothing too little. Everything is just perfectly straightforward as it is. Right here, where you are, is the pure lotus land. I try to give you a hint of what, is true, what true life is about. I talk around it, talk toward it, talk at it, hoping to arouse in you the will to open your eyes and see for yourselves. I am hoping that you will ask yourselves, how can I strengthen this aim to enlightenment? I'm hoping that you will become serious about it, listen to the Dharma teaching with a burning desire to understand, grow in your enthusiasm for practice. The sparkling Dharma jewel is now here. And we'll now stop and recite the four vows. without number I vow to liberate endless blind passions I vow to uproot dharma gates beyond measure I vow to penetrate the great way of Buddha I vow to attain all beings without number, I vow to liberate endless blind passions. I vow to uproot dharma gates beyond measure. 
I vow to penetrate the great way of Buddha. I vow to attain all beings without number. I vow to liberate endless blind passions. I vow to uproot dharma gates beyond measure. I vow to penetrate the great way of Buddha. I vow to attain.